Witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting, Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. You know, whenever Katie says charming and witty, I always wonder who she's talking about. I don't know. Maybe they talk. I don't know. Maybe me. But, you know, I'm just going to leave that there. Miss Shane, what's up, lady? How are you? Phenomenal. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, typically the speakers are very competitive. And I see you were very patient, right? You you didn't jump in there, even though I know you are an expert of Michigan history. Were, were you holding back or you just decided to share? You know what? Um, when y'all brought, brought up the University of Michigan, I had to keep quiet because uh, I don't mess with them because I'm Michigan State University. Uh -huh. So, you know, yeah. You know, the only time that we come to an agreement is when we're talking about Ohio. And that's just it. That's mm -hmm. what it is. Mm -hmm. But we don't we don't click at the all. The only time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, I, I wrote, you know, a summary for you being here tonight. And the discussion tonight is going to be so awesome. But as I begin to write, I begin to see how much dynamic, you know, experiences you've had. And I just want to read this. And, I, you know, people don't I don't always read these bios, but I want to read this. So about the speaker, Shane is an award winning nurse and community education consultant. She is no stranger to health and nutrition. She started her career helping families recover from lead poisoning in Flint, Michigan. Yet, her work is far from over. Eight years after one of the worst environmental injustices in the 21st century, Shane is still busy. After helping families recover from lead poisoning, she has shifted her work to help inmates recover from what she calls generational habits. I love it. I love it. I love it. What's up, Shane? Tell us about you. Tell us about your background. Tell us about, you know, tell the people something about yourself so we can get to know you. So first, I'm going to do correction. Um, I do have my RN, but I did not pursue um, under um, nursing um, because I took one class and it changed my whole dynamic of which direction I was going in, which was criminal justice. Um, I started to actually see there was a correlation between mental health and also crime and nutrition and why people commit the crime they do when it comes to how the brain works. Um, so I just continued on my education as I pursued um, my bachelor's, master's, and entered into my PhD. And then my whole world turned upside down where I implemented myself inside the Genesee County Jail. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that overview. And, you know, I, I love that because that's a part of your story, right? You know, yes. you started one thing, but then you found what a lot of people find is that that excitement, that passion. But before we get into that excitement and passion, you know, for people who, you know, are far away like me, I'm in the and we may, you know, watch a few things on the news, but we, we, we're really not there close and personal like you are. Can you start by just giving us a backdrop of the history of Flint and, you know, how, you know, we talked about the audio maker, right? Who was founded in 1908. Tell us about the history of Flint and what makes it unique and how we ended up in this Flint water crisis. So I'll give you a little background about Flint. 
Um, Flint was a thriving city at one time, excelling. Um, a lot of people um, were um, living their best lives. General Motors had pr provided this um, for Flint, where um, actually closed a lot of Flint and also relocate to other places, which, as General Motors, left their babies. And I called it abandonment, as if you know, you a mother birthing their babies and they leave their babies behind to fend for themselves. A lot of people could not fend for themselves. They didn't know what to do with General Motors, um, which left Flint um, in a very, very tight situation where, you know, when a corporation leaves, that means businesses start to close because there's no longer the money there to keep them standing um, strong as well. We went from the abandonment issues of General Motors to 2014. Now we have this man-made environmental hazard that had, which was a water crisis, which changed the whole narrative and dynamic of what we looked at at the world as we were living in this third world country where Flint residents were stripped of their normalcy. Brushing their teeth, you had to use a water bottle. For us to cook your food, you had to use a water bottle. The bay, you had to use a water bottle. Everything went down to a water bottle. Um, very, very um, scary. But in the mix of that, that affected your mental health, also anxiety, and that caused uh, a rise in even like violence, caused a rise in also um, when it came down to child abuse, they seen, you know, the percentage go from like 10% to like 34 Um the water changed everything. So now we're dealing with abandonment issues. So now this man-made issue. And like, like I told you, we went right into COVID. Like what just happened here? With this elation now of being in a house and you still don't have clean water, you've been abandoned by General Motors. How do I pay the bills? Um, and the water just changed the whole entire thing far as when it came to mental health. A lot of our babies were affected. And what I mean by they were affected, just a little bit of lead would change the whole um, component when it comes to a child, how they think, how they feel, how they perform academically. We had babies that will forever be tested, you know, yearly to check the levels of their lead um, levels. But this is a generational thing. It's not going anywhere. What lead usually do is it metabolizes itself within the bones. And so their babies will now produce babies will have lead inside their system as well. And it's just an ongoing effect. I came into play because a lot of families don't know that they wasn't eating properly. We are a descendants of Africa. We are. Um, and we were known to be Mediterranean people. Mediterranean, what I mean by that is we were strong fish eaters. We were a lot of greens, far as kale, spinach, things of that nature, a lot of nuts, a lot of dark berries. Um, and then we implemented ourselves into America and got custom to how they fed us. And then we pulled away from how we were, as we call our normalcy of eating. And so that's when our different elements started happening with us and our body. So within Flint, people were not eating right. So that's why the lead level was so high because the lead had somewhere to go to because they were not protected. And so now you have these babies with these high lead levels. What do vitamin C looks like? What do iron look like? What do calcium look like? And so I came into play to help educate um, the community on what these things look like. Because you could tell me all day, like you need vitamin C, calcium, and, and iron, but what do it look like? And so I had to lay down the foundation um, to show parents as well as the community, what do these things look like? 
Awesome. Also, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to recap just because um, you're still breaking up a little bit. So we may have to pause your video, you know, just to get audio clear. But let me recap for some of the things you said, because in talking with you, this was new information for me. Not all of it, but some of it. And I like the way you describe it. You say, you know, General Motors had been there, and I didn't realize since 1908. They leave, and I think, what, Flint's about 100,000, you know, people. And they leave, and the whole city is, in your words, you describe it, is left traumatized. The major employer for 100K, I grew up in a 100K city, that's really small, is now gone. So then you describe it, there's an increase in crime, there's an increase in mental health issue, there's an increase in all of these things that are going on. But then another thing you said that really, really was new for me is that once lead gets in the body, it's in there. It's in there even when, you know, a new child is born. And your involvement, you begin to help people deal with this lead poisoning that is there for, I don't know, maybe generations. And I think your support is you begin to help these families understand poisoning and the lead that they were dealing with and will continue to deal with how I think through nutrition, right? Yes. Tell, tell us about that, the nutrition and the things that, you know, and I like the way you describe the, the backdrop, right? You're like, it's not just nutrition, but nutrition as compared to what we were accustomed to eating. So I just want to kind of recap there, but tell us about some of the nuances of how to get this lead out your body. So the way you'd reduce um, the effects of lead, you have to increase the vitamin C, iron, and calcium. And what that looks like is vitamin C, that's kale, oranges, broccoli, strawberries, kiwi, tomatoes, pineapples, bell peppers. That will fall up under vitamin C. Um, purple cabbage, Brussels sprouts. And you know us, we're not known for eating no Brussels sprouts. We, nah, they, they look at it and be like, nah, I ain't eating that. Uh, I don't even like it, but they never taste it. Um, lemons, um, iron, kidney beans, um, chickpeas, quinoa. Quinoa was something that was unfamiliar to a lot of people as well. Um, pumpkin seeds, um, oats, black eyed peas, almonds, um, calcium that looked like um, milk, yogurt, chia seeds, avocado, which that was something that no one was really known for eating as well. And so I had to introduce these type of things to them because not only did these foods help with reducing the lead, but we was dealing with a lot of people with a lot of depression, anxiety, and this actually controlled mood. And so the junk they were putting inside their bodies, like hot pockets, the Mountain Dews, the Fagos, um, the refined sugars and things like that was affecting that existed until so people started changing how they were eating. That food and mood did go together as well as this lead um, um, outbreak that we did have. You know, th thanks for sharing that because that phrase that you just shared is one of my latest all-time favorite phrases. Yeah, you know, back in the day they used to say you are what you eat, right? But you, you took it a step farther. You say your mood, I mean, your food leads to your mood. It does. And I thought about that, right? Because it's it's a simple statement, but it means so much. Why? The previous show we did, you know, about a couple months ago, we did it on ADHD and black boys. Oh. And we start talking about the ex what happens. 
you know, to black boys, what happens to our children when all of a sudden their mood is something that other people may not like? But I know that you didn't stop there on this topic of your mood and food. Let's get a little political. And I just want you to say it again because I love it when you say it. You went back to the motherland. I did. And in the motherland, you say, whoa, 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 people, do you not understand? We were Mediterranean people. Describe that to me again, just for the people who didn't hear it the first time. So a Mediterranean um, eater is a person that's, we ate rich in fruits, vegetables, um, whole grain, like real grains, um, salmon, a lot of fish. Um, we were eating um, chicken, which was very lean, dark berries, um, kale, um, spinach. Those were things that we were accustomed to in nuts, lots and lots of nuts, not even knowing that a handful of nuts can actually reduce your chances of having a heart attack by 60%. But we don't eat nuts like that. We we just don't. Um, and we don't eat them every day. If we do, it's like a treat every blue moon and not knowing that a lot of things that we eat control the whole dynamic of our bodies. I explained to people, um, do you remember when you were that, that little bitty child and your teacher asked you to draw this rainbow? And so everybody remember that rainbow. You had that pot of ghosts sitting at the very bottom and everybody but see, at that time, your teacher was designing your whole entire life and you didn't even know it. That each one of these colors that you drew had something to do with your body. And that pot of gold at the bottom was the legacy, the longevity of your life that you were actually painting, because that's what that rainbow represents. Each one of the colors do something for your body. Every single color. I love it. I love it. I love <laughs> it. You know, and I tell you why, because Often we've done many shows on nutrition. We've done many shows on vegan style eating. And I just want to be honest, you know, outside of Bethany, who's in the audience, who does a great job of really, really breaking down food and nutrition. Sometimes people explain it in a way that people just either they don't get it or they don't care. Right. Exactly. So I started talking to people. I'm like, hey, tell me. What is it about this vegan, this plant-based nutrition that people really turn off? And this is what I've been told. I've been told that they struggle with the how to do it. They struggle with the how am I going to afford to do it. They struggle with, hey, vegetables and plant-based nutrition, that's going to take some meal prep time. And if you're an on-the-go type person, right, let's say you're a truck driver, right, if you stop at a gas station, you're not going to find a lot of these choices, so I begin to realize what I see are the practical things that kind of prevent people from doing the simple things. But, you know, we won't tackle all those today because I want to highlight you and the work you did because you told me that, hey, the work that I'm doing got so much attention that I started winning awards and even Harvard came to visit and be yes. like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Tell, tell us about that excitement for you. Like, you just doing your thing, and all of a sudden, Harvard, like, hey, can you teach us that? Tell us about that experience for you. So um, I was teaching a, 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 one of my classes in the county jail, and the, on that particular day, I was talking about the color of the rain and what each one of these colors do for your body. And so the professor was just blown away because she had never heard it before. She never knew that each one of these colors hold a certain uh, component that does something for my body. She never heard it put to, but she was more intrigued that the inmates were writing stuff down. They were asking questions. They were intrigued. Um, they were alert and they were learning. 
And she was like, whoa, like we're onto something here that I want to invest in this program because I've never seen nothing like this before. Awesome. Awesome. Let's tell us about that program, right? So you work at MSU, um, what do they call it? MSU Extension? Um, Tell us about this nutrition program that you run and how you got started essentially teaching not everyday people, not people just, you know, who are struggling, but you are connecting with inmates on healthy eating and nutrition. Tell me how this whole program came to be. Like, what? how did you even get there? Um, so it took me um, three and a half years to get in there. I kept beating the pavement till I finally got a yes. And then when I finally got a yes, I sent it onto campus to get their approval to start programming. And so when campus said yes, then the county said no. And so I pulled back again. Then I ended up having a meeting with the governor, Governor Whitmere. And in the mix of this meeting, it was a private meeting amongst me and 14 other men. And I was the only female there. And we're talking about what could we do to reduce the crime inside the city of Flint. And so I wanted to address the elephant in the room because I wanted to talk about the food desert. We don't have food inside the city of Flint. We have more liquor stores than we do grocery stores. You can count maybe five grocery stores inside the city of Flint amongst 55,000 people, but more liquor stores than anything. So when I go in a liquor store and I see an apple or orange or a banana, it's a dollar and 50 cent. I'm going to spend my dollar and 50 cent on some chips and some pop. I'm going to stretch my money as long as I can. And I'm going to leave the fruits there. I don't care about that. I'm just trying to, you know, um, soothe my belly from being hungry, not knowing that I'm putting all these things inside my body, which will cause other issues in the long run. So they made it hard for people to actually eat the right way with this being, you know, issues with the lead and things like that. So the governor, I had the aha moment and the sheriff was there and he was like, whoa, what just happened here? So my email was off the chain from the prosecutor reaching out to me to the sheriff saying, hey, I want you to implement this program right now. I need this right now for my MAs right now. And so I started the next month and I've been there now that I've had 175 inmates so far. And this last class I just had was 50. So um, I'm, I'm tackling not only the mood and the food, but I'm actually ending generational habits. Awesome. Also, you see, I love this. I'm telling you why I get excited is because you, 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 sometimes people, they start with the cause, right? They'd be like, hey, there's food deserts. And, and they'd be like complaining and they would like, you know, whatever. But it's almost like I'm, I'm hearing in your story, you kind of fell back, right? You know what you do. You know what you believe in. You know where you live, right? So I'm looking at your story. And on the backdrop of your story is you told me not one tragedy, not two tragedies, but multiple tragedies. The first tragedy was G, GM leaving. The second tragedy was the Flint water um, poisoning. The third tragedy was COVID. So now you got this area just been beat down over and over and over again. And what you do is you start writing letters. What do you think it was that really got the sheriff's attention? Because it seemed like that sheriff saw something a little different. What do you think got his attention? Um, What got the sheriff's attention that I was inside my dissertation as I was writing the correlation of crime and um. The, the, the correlation between crime and nutrition. And as I started to take the brain apart and how important it was where the prefrontal cortex, if it's damaged and it's not fed properly, then people will react a certain type of way. It's called being hangry. 
And he sat there with his eyes wide open, was like, whoa, what just happened here? Like, I've been that way before. I said, if you're not feeding a person properly, of course, once they blow that light and somebody else flip them off, they're going to trail them. I have not ate breakfast. I have not had a snack. I have not had lunch. And it's on. And so I may be the worst person you want to bump into that at that point because I'm hangry. And then when I wake up the next day, I'm at the county jail and be like, how did I get here? And no, I did not do the crime they say I did um, because my brain had not had the nutrients that it needed to make the proper decisions. I love it. You know, I'm going to tell you why. It's a part of what I do here at Southern Souls. I take a bunch of skills and a bunch of experiences and I merge them into one. You know, I call that, um, what I call it, um, uh, it's almost like gumbo, right? You're just taking all of the best things. When I hear you speak, you're taking some, it's a little pop culture. It's a little, you know, family culture, but it connects to the science. And what's the science say? Is, hey, nutrition and food is a strong, strong, you said it's not the only factor, but it's a factor is I think the way you described it, right? Right. Yes. And you begin, so now I can see why the academics were going crazy, right? Because like, whoa, 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 what's going on at Michigan State? <laughs> you know, this girl over here teaching this nuance, these, these nutrition classes, but she's also, you know, working on her dissertation. Tell us about your dissertation again. You say you're, you're, you're so studying the correlation. Yeah, the correlation of criminal behavior and nutrition, that that was one of the factors why people commit the crimes that they do. And so it takes a real close look at the brain and how people make decisions when they don't eat the right way. If you're not putting the proper food inside your body, how can you even feed your brain the right way? Because your first brain is your stomach. And people, I always have to explain it to them that everything you put in your body, it goes there first and it filters its way out into the body. And then it comes here. And so everything you infect your body, it spreads out and then boom, it goes here. So is you really feeding your first brain the right things or the wrong things? And so that's when things start to happen, like cancer, things start to happen first, heart disease, things start to happen first, you know, um, everything. This first brain controls everything. This is in the driver's seat, the first brain. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and I, I love about that because... You know, as I was saying earlier, when you talk to people about such things, uh, I'm accustomed to see people who you're talking to them and they just disconnect. But now you're talking to these inmates and they're not disconnecting. Like you said, they're writing things down. So tell me about that experience. So you're you're in the local, you know, um, prison, right? Prison jail. And yeah. you're, 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 you're connecting with these people. Like, how does it feel? Like, what are they saying? I mean, because you also use that as an opportunity to, as you say, deal with what you call not generational curses. You don't like that word. Tell us the word you like. Generational habits. Habits that What's are meant to be broken. the difference between the curses and the habits for you? Huh? I said, tell us about the difference between a generational curse and a generational habit because for you. People always look at curses as something that you can just never get rid of. Habits are something that... Even though this a habit, you can change the narrative of a habit. Just like a person that's a nail biter, you can stop a person from biting their nails. Um, so those are habits. Habits are meant to be changed. And so I explained to these men, as well as I explained to these women, that our mothers mothered us a certain type of way because her mother mothered her a certain type of way. And so that's why we start to mother and father certain type of ways. And so not only do I educate them through mood and food, but I also educate them through um, mentoring them, but I mentor them through food. Mm. So that's the aha moment because everybody gets to cry 
because I want them to release. And they also get to talk about the food because everything I put together, I break down every single component inside the food and why I gave it to you the way that I did. And what does it do for your body? So they're going to know whether or not they had, you know, Allison in there or they had any kind of um, loosen or they're going to know everything that's inside this food and what it does for what it does for my body. Awesome. Awesome. Have you had any moments where people just come up to you and be like, wow, I never saw it this way. I never understood it this way. Like, what are the things some of the inmates are telling you? Um, they are changing a lot of things because, um, like I said, it, it, it's none of us got a book with this thing called, you know, being a parent. Um, and so a lot of us fed our kids a certain type of way, the best way we knew how, not even knowing that if we would have been fed the right way, we would be just as elite as our counterparts, but we're not. We were always going straight to the junk, um, even to educate because majority of my people are African-American, um, just knowing that what we originated from, um, bringing things in there like a sweet potato and a yam and explaining to them there's a difference between the two. And then they'd be like, what? what? What are you talking about? It's the same thing. No, it's not the same thing. That we have a yam and then we have a sweet potato. I said, you have some people that cook candy yams, but they cook it with candy sweet potatoes. That's what it is. They don't cook it with yams. They cook it with candy sweet potatoes, but they call it candy yams. Yams are white. They look a little tan. Yams. Sweet potatoes are orange, but yet they cook, you know, uh, candy yams with sweet potatoes. And so the guys have this aha moment, like, oh my goodness. And so I let them eat the, can the sweet potatoes raw because it helps with depression. And so I show them the happy food versus the food they should avoid. And the things when you feel like you're at your low, what do you need to increase? Those bananas, those apples, those sweet potatoes. So you can get that happy food in there the holistic way instead of you getting the pharmaceutical way. Awesome. You know, I agree with something you said is that this thing is getting ready to really hit. So I'm already claiming it, right? You better start <laughs> trademarking topics, trademarking things. I'm tell you why. Because what you're doing connects so many pieces. It connects with, hey, I'm going to let you know where you come from. Then it says, hey, I'm going to allow you to understand the dynamics of food instead of eating what I call that gas station food. Let me show you the royal food in which you came from. Let me show you the good food that God gave us that he exactly. put in front of us. And now you over here eating this McDonald's and this gas station food. You see, you're giving them hope. You're, giving, you're helping their self-esteem. You're educating them. And I see their mind just being blown. And you just talking about food. But I think... Something else is special, because as I hear you speak, I now see what one of your gifts are. And it's one of the things we love here at Southern Soul, people who can break it down. You know, <laughs> sometimes people be, you know, they, they, they be so highfalutin and they way over here and people just stare at them. But you have a way of breaking it down. I, I like your your rainbow example, right? Your, your Africa example. And you create these illustrations, that I can imagine those inmates are sitting there like, wow. And, and they did not even know that we were originated of our watermelons, um, the okra, the black eyed peas. These were things that was put on that boat and brought over here. And everybody just ran rapid with our stuff, even for Coca-Cola to even um, use our cola nut. That is from Africa. And they use that for Coca-Cola. That's ours. Mm -hmm. So I educate them to let them know like, hey, we implemented all through here. 
but we just don't take heed to the stuff that's been brought here for us to keep us alive for longevity. Awesome. Awesome. It's beautiful. Well, I tell you what we're going to do. The the chat is giving you all kinds of love and support. I mean, Miss Betty Walker said you, you just need to do your YouTube. I think you may already have a YouTube. You have a YouTube yet? I have a YouTube. And so I have only, I just set it up not even like maybe seven days ago. So I'm about okay. to start putting a lot of stuff on there in the next few days. Send me the YouTube because I sent out a post feedback after the show and I send people the links. Um, Tamika's going to drop in the chat of where people can follow you. Um, we're going to um, drop a couple of your links in there where they can find your contact information. But I just want to say kudos to what you're doing. Keep doing it. As we get ready to transition to um, Tom Jackson, because it's all about Jackson tonight, right? <laughs> Jackson and Tom Jackson. I saw that. I'm like, that's unique. But if you would hang tight, because we're going to bring you back for some Q&A. And okay. also, um, feel free to jump in the chat because um, people may ask you questions during the chat. So, Tamika, feel free to um, share her Instagram and share her um, new website. It's it's um, up and coming, but at the bottom of that website, you'll be able to see her contact information. But, you know, I want to give you a chance to kind of speak or anything else you want to share because I think you got some books coming out, right? Yes, I do. So. So next month, um, I have my first book called Rainbow Power, which is a children's mm -hmm. book to actually introduce our children to what it's like to eat from the rainbow and what do it look like and what those food do for your body. My second book is a DASH diet book. So for those with high blood pressure, what do those recipes look like and what can I do to reduce the effects um, of being high blood pressure so I can take myself off that medication? The next one I have is a keto diet, which is a very good diet for a lot of people, but that goes back to your blood type. So that's when you reach out to me so I can tell you whether or not the, the keto diet works for you because everything is based on blood type. And then also I have a smoothie book. So all of them will be released come next month. So I'm super excited about all four awesome. of them to be coming out. Awesome. All you, you just doing it. And I love it. I love it. Love it. I see. And, you know, I already saw on your Facebook, you got some 70,000 followers. So I know yes. you're getting ready to blow up <laughs> real soon. Right. So just thank you for dropping in. And like I said, hang tight and um, we're going to, you know, bring you back for some Q&A, but definitely check out the chat because I'm pretty sure people are going to have some direct questions for you. Okay. Thank awesome. You. Awesome. I'm going to transition to my brother, Tom. Let's see. Uh, where's my Tom at? But, you know, you know, I, I enjoy talking to Shane because, you know, if, if you begin to see, you know, what she's doing, it's so, so much. And I just get excited because I'm like, look at all of this stuff. You go from anywhere from, like I said, the self-esteem to the nutrition to the education. It's just so much. And it just excites me just to kind of see all of it happening because we're going to continue to follow you, Shane, because I just see so much happening and so much fortune for you pretty soon. So it's just, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just get excited talking about it. Let's see here. Let's get um, Tom spotlighted. Let's see here. We got him unmuted. Tom, can you hear me? I can't hear you, but you're unmuted. Yep, I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me? Yep, yep, I can hear you. Yeah, did you get any chance to um, hear uh, Miss Shane speak, Miss Jackson? I got to tell you, I was riveted. I was riveted by that whole conversation, you know, because it links so well to what we're finding in education. And um, it actually turns out that uh, Miss Jackson and I have a bit of a confluence there because uh, in my very early days of my practice, I worked on the issue of lead paint poisoning in Chicago in um, in, in uh, slum landlord uh, buildings where children were eating 
the paint that was peeling off the walls. And we did a number of studies of the impact of lead, po lead poisoning on not only the children's health, but also on their education, um, on their growth, uh, on their attitudes, and, and how it affected them emotionally. We did not dig into this the way that Ms. Jackson did, just did, where she just really dissected it, took it back to Africa and all of that. That's just, that was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. Isn't it, it, it? It's very beautiful because it, it's comp it, it's a solid book, right? It's comprehensive, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and it, it explains a lot because if you stop and think about it, you know, um, what Flint really highlighted is the issue of lead paint in water, right? But, um, you know, our kids are dealing with lead paint not only in water, but in the piping that's used. They're dealing with the paint on the walls. They're dealing with in the air that they're breathing and all of these atmospheres. And we ask ourselves these questions about why are our kids in certain neighborhoods underperforming, you know, in education? And we've yet not linked it to the very environmental conditions in which we have these kids growing up. And then Ms. Jackson takes it further and says it's not just them, but it's the environmental conditions in which their parents, you know, where their parents grew up. You know, so that it is generational. I love the way she says it's a generational habit, not a generational curse, because it is something that we can change. So I, I was riveted by that. I, I can't wait to get the book. And I'm definitely going to be watching her YouTube. And then when I get finished, I'm going to see if I can reach out to her and have her speak at one of my conferences for my teachers. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we love connecting people. So, you know, thank you, um, Tom, for being here tonight. But let's, let's shift and talk about you. Because, you know, there's, there's so much opportunity, right? And I'm excited because sometimes people can be overwhelmed, be like, man, you know, can we not just get ahead? But I'm going to tell you why I'm excited and I'm hopeful. It's because we have some black excellence, some people like Ms. Jackson, some people like you who get it, right? They see, you know, back in the day, they say, oh, all you have to do is this one thing, go to college. All you have to do is this one thing, you know, find a husband. But you see, it's, life is a little bit more dynamic. And what we begin to see is the multi-levels and layers of this thing. But I know I'm preaching to the choir, but let me just, um, would you mind introducing yourself, letting the people know about what you've been doing over the past 30 years, who you are and what you do? Yeah, thank you for that. And, and you're right, life is multi-layered. Because, you know, when I started out, I went to public school and I just knew I wanted to be a lawyer. Not that I had seen a lawyer anywhere other than on Matlock you know, but in Perry Mason, but, you know, I knew I just wanted to be a lawyer, right? So did all the right things, went to public school, did well at school, went to college, went to law school, you know, and uh, in, in, in um, college in, in, Ohio, in uh, Indiana law school in, in Ohio, by the way, somebody mentioned something about, you know, giving some shade to Ohio. I just want you to know, Ohio State has won most of those Ohio State-Michigan games. Oh, it's a fluke when Michigan wins, but I, I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but, you know, law school, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. There was, um, you know, working in mergers and acquisitions and litigation and doing international deals. Um, the, the biggest deal I worked on um, actually created a, a small company called United Healthcare. Um, and so, um, you know, I was doing my thing. And then I get this call, um, you know, to uh, become the general counsel, the chief lawyer for a company called Edison Learning. 
Um, and I did a little re- research on it, and I realized that it was this this company was working on closing the achievement gap in the very neighborhoods I grew up in. And um, and so I said, you know what? I have an opportunity to give back and still be, you know, uh, you know, a lawyer doing all kinds of acquisitions and litigation. And about seven years later, uh, the, the private equity firm that owned the company decided to sell it, and I bought it. Uh, and so, um, if someone had told me that I would deliberately stop practicing law and own uh, uh, the largest wholly owned minority. Uh, owned um, education technology company in the country, I would never have believed them, but that's exactly what's happened. Um, you know, so from starting out to wanting to be a lawyer to today, uh, being, uh, you know, an entrepreneur uh, in, 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 an, in an area where, you know, the, the mayor of Ghana said to me, he said, you know, Tom, there's no other company like you in the world, not just like you in the United States. There's no one else like you in the world. And I thought, wow, that's, that's, where we are, you know, um, and so today that's what we are. We we focus primarily on education technology, making sure that we are bringing equity and education to life uh, in communities of color around the around the the, the country. And uh, we're in 34 states each day. Um, you know, we're talking to you know, we're providing education and curriculum online uh, to over 100,000 students uh, and and growing. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Because, you know, when I first began to look at your background, I was kind of new to ed tech, right? I was like, what is this ed tech? And then I began to look into it. I'm like, this thing is huge, right? Not only is it huge, but it offers some unique opportunities, right? So tell me about, you know, the history of Edison Learning, right? And what you guys do, because check this out. I'm new parent, right? So this is my first rodeo and I'm barely digesting what's going on at my local, you know, district and school. What is ed tech and why should parents listening today be so concerned? Well, so um, giant step backwards, education technology really is taking technology as a tool and using it to help address the needs of students in the classroom and to make teaching and learning much more impactful, meeting that student exactly where where they are, right? And so um, as an industry, the education technology industry uh, is expected over the next four years to hit half a trillion dollars in in terms of the size of the industry. So it is not a small industry. It is growing. And, you know, we saw a lot of the explosion of education technology as an industry we saw it. Uh, a lot of it happened during COVID, but it actually goes back to the 60s. Remember, um, and I'm going to pick your mind here. If you looked at comic books when you were in the 60s in the back, remember it had those little ads about distance learning, right? That was the beginning of ed tech, mm-hmm. right? It was those those that distance learning, learning, uh, you know, through the mail, right? Ultimately, what happened is learning through the mail met the internet age. And you began to learn online. In fact, one of the oldest companies in education technology today was one of the uh, one of the companies that that, that founded distance learning. So uh, distance learning became online learning, and online learning takes on a whole new uh, set of parameters that today. So you have it for kindergartners uh, through fifth grade. You have it for middle school. 
you have it for high school, you have it for college. A lot of the colleges now have online learning. MIT fundamentally coined online learning in college and, and getting your your uh, your your uh, uh, credits in in uh, in postgraduate work. Um, and then um, Harvard and uh, just about every college that's out there now has an accredited online learning program where you can get your degree online. You don't have to be on campus. So ed- education technology is is vast in, in that regard. Um, now, um, you know, in terms of Edison Learning, we jumped into it about a decade ago. Okay, okay. but even about thirty years ago was when we, we jumped, when we became um, an education company. And at that point, what we were looking at was really this whole question of, and we described equity differently. We said every child has a right to a world-class education. If we believe that, then how do we make that true, right? And so our founders, a guy by the name of Chris Whittle, um, who was one of the founders of Gentleman Quarterly Magazine, uh, Ben Schmidt, who is actually president uh, uh, and chairman of Yale University, and um, a guy who's now deceased, John Chubb, who was part of the, the the Hoover Foundation, got together and they began to think about and think through what are the kinds of things that really drive student achievement. You know, is is teaching more art or science? And actually, it's both. But if but what do you have to do to know that you've got a student engaged? You know, and how do you know that teaching is effective? Well, one way you know that is by the way the student performs. But the other way you know that it was when you walk in the classroom, you know, and you see what's going on, you see, is the teacher calling on the same student every time, you know, or is she calling on different students? You know, it's just, does the teacher understand what's going on in that in, in the lives of her students? You know, because you've got to have those wraparound services as well. So they began to look at education from a number of different perspectives. Get to remember that old days when the principal was in the principal's office and you had to go to see the principal in the principal's office. And what these guys said is, no, the principal should be the the institution, the instructional leader of that school. So the principal should be out and about. It should know the students, should be walking in the classroom, should see what's going on in the classroom, should be connected to the teaching and learning that's going on in the school. So they really reshaped a lot of what we see today as the, the, the table stakes for education. So for 30 years, that's what, edu- what Edison Learning has been focused on. When I bought the company, what I said was, we need to go further. We need to find the metrics that say with that things are going well. So for example, okay, so you know, how, how, how much is Johnny learning year over year in math? You know, if Johnny, if all you're doing is giving Johnny an A or B or C, how do you know that he really has learned it? You know, so let's look at progression scores. You know, as Johnny's math capability increased 10%, 5%, you know, 20%, we know that if you get double digit increases in math scores and in reading scores, right, which is Nirvana, then you've got a student who's more likely to be ready and prepared for college, right? So what we've been focused on as a company is really understanding how are we measuring progress for our students year over year so that we know they are prepared for post-secondary work, whichever way they decide to go. If they want to go and they want to focus on career, technology, certification, or if they want to go on to college, we know that they've been prepared for the next stages in their lives. 
Well, you know, thanks you for sharing that because as a parent, I'm sitting here thinking, and once again, I'm new to this whole thing, right? I hadn't touched the school mm-hmm. in 30 years. And, you know, people looking at me and quote unquote, Calvin, I think you're a little naive about how the system works. They look at me like everybody know the system, right? But until recently, I was like, I don't get it, right? But what you said is so, so important. The incremental, the is the child learning year over year? I learned a new term recently about checking boxes, right? You know, checking boxes and they're like, yep, he reading, he reading, he reading. But that doesn't mean the child has been challenged. It doesn't mean that the child is in the situation where he's getting that attention he needs, she needs, to grow and develop. Because if you're anything like my son, if he gets bored, then, hey, cancel Christmas. It's over, right? It's but over. I love it's over. You guys are paying attention. Now, I want to put you on the spot a right. little bit. This is a question that you're aware of, is that the ed tech industry has had some ups and downs, right? But I love, you know, how you guys at Edison are approaching it differently, right? And you guys have decided to focus on equity. Tell me about how you guys you know, since you became 100% owner, how you guys are focusing on ed tech and equity. I love that play. Tell, tell me about more of, you know, and I would love some examples if you would like to share. Yeah, sure, sure. So what, here's what we're doing. So what we're, we're doing, focusing on this in two ways, but I want to address one other point you made, which I think is really important. So for example, that student that you just talked about, your son, if I'm a parent, Right. And I want to know how my student is, how my student is really progressing, you know, for kids of color. Right. A lot of times the bar is low. Okay, so I've got this kid reading in school. I got him reading in class. Okay, great. I'm going to check the box. That's what the checking the box is. Right. When Johnny comes home, when Janie comes home, when Shane comes home. Right. And they've got a book to read or or an assignment to read. Okay, don't just have them read it to you. Ask them to explain it to you. What does it mean to you? Because it's not so much that our kids can't read. The SAT, the ACT, all these tests are not necessarily measuring whether they can read. It's measuring their reading comprehension. Do they understand what they're reading? And so a lot of times we applaud in church or what have you when they render a rendition, right? When they... (laughs) When they're rendering their edition, they get up and they read the Bible verse, right? But we don't ask them to explain what that means. And so even if we just ask them to explain that Bible verse, you know, explain what you're reading, what we're now doing is we're working on reading comprehension. We're working on critical thinking skills. That student is going, by virtue of asking those kinds of questions of our kids, that student is now going to perform better in school and better on standardized tests. Okay, so I just wanted to carve that back in. Okay, so what are we doing in terms of equity? Right. One of the things that we're doing is we're offering to school districts where the the school districts have failed or failing schools. What we're doing is uh, is we're offering pilots of our courses at a substantially reduced price, you know, at literally at cost. Because what we want to do is to have them demonstrate that these courses really can help level the playing field. Because what our courses do that's different from a lot of other courses is our courses are really about getting to this point of critical thinking and comprehension and understanding math. We did a, 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 um, a, a beta test last year in, um, in Pompano, Florida, 
right outside of Fort Lauderdale, right? Where what we did was some math courses were taught by live teachers and some math courses were taught by our online teachers, right? So the courses that were taught by the online, by the in-school brick and mortar teachers, the kids showed an improvement of in math at 23% year over year. The courses that were taught by online, 75% increase. 75%. Now, the other part of that is the student, the universe of students to which it was taught were students who had dropped out or who are at high risk of dropping out. They're learning algebra, algebra one, algebra two. They're learning trigonometry, geometry, et cetera. So it, it, it's not about whether our kids can learn. It's about how we engage them as critical thinkers and how teachers engage those students. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So what we're saying is equity should be, should not mean that, oh, we're going to get up and stand and give all these speeches. Equity should be about what you actually do to deliver it to the folks who really need it and need access to it. And so that's what we're all about when we say equity. We're saying, let's make sure that every child has access to the tools that will help them become the best student that they could possibly be. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you for sharing that because, you know, it, it excites me, right? Because it excites me that somebody cares. It, it excites me that you can talk about it. I remember when I first got into education, I started talking to people. And, you know, I, I grew up in corporate, right? So, you know, we got this other thing. When I was at IBM, we had this thing called straight talk, right? It's like, hey, I'm just going to tell you mm -hmm. how I'm feeling, whatever. And it was based on communication. Man, I started talking to them educators. I could have swore I was talking to a, and it doesn't matter who in education. It's like you're talking to this crazy politician who, and they said, well, you know, they're doing CYA. I'm like, but we're just talking. It's a casual conversation. How can wow. so many people be doing CYA in a casual conversation? And very few people are having the conversation. The conversation, once again, first rodeo, how does this system work? Now, I happen to know, because you shared with me, that you guys also focus on a key segment, the over age for grade population. I, I didn't even really know that was a thing. Tell us about what that is, over age for grade, and why you're focusing on it. Yeah, I got to tell you, um, you know, this one really is near and dear to my heart. Uh, because, you know, um, there have been a number of studies over age for grade for you, for your listeners is if you remember, um, you know, you know, the, the, the grade span, you know, when you are, uh, you know, middle school is typically um, grade seven, um, six, seven, eight, uh, six, seven and eight is your middle school. Right. And so typically you're 11 to 12 years old in the sixth grade, 12 to 13 you know, in the seventh grade and 13 to 14 in the eighth grade, you know, but we have a growing set of a population of kids, you know, who might be as old, you know, as 14 or 15 in the sixth grade, you know, when they're supposed to be 11, 11 or 12. Okay. And a, a lot of that is due to all of these, um, these laws around social promotion, where they're holding kids back in the third grade. Right. So if you get held back in the third grade, OK, then what happens is you are 70 percent more likely to get held back again 
before you hit middle school, right? So that means that if you get held back, that means you're going to be two cohort years behind, okay? Instead of 11 to 12, you know, you're going to be 13, 14, you know? Um, if, if you get held back again in the sixth grade, you're likely to now, before going on to the seventh grade, you're essentially a high schooler in middle school, hmm. right? So that's that population that I'm really concerned about because that population is definitely at some point going to drop off and 96% more likely to drop out. You know, in a, in a recent study in Florida, I think they said a 16-year-old in an eighth grader is about 338% more likely to drop out. I mean, it's a done deal, right? And we're creating these, recreating these dropouts by having these, quote, social promotion statutes because we're, we're getting them, we're, we're holding them back in the third grade after the third grade. Now, why is the third grade important? I just talked about reading, right, and, and comprehension. Here's why third grade is important, okay, from an education perspective. Because third grade is that point in which you go from learning to read to reading to learn. Get the difference there? From learning to read to reading to learn. That's that comprehension switch that is supposed to happen at third grade. So when you're holding that student back in third grade and you're not putting in the right intentions, you're creating a dropout class. That's what you're doing. You're creating a dropout class. And that dropout class ends up in your middle school that's over age for grade middle schoolers. So what are you going to have? You're going to have behavioral issues. You have kids who can't read, kids who can't comprehend, kids who aren't going to do math, kids who are more likely to show out because they don't want to be showed up. Right? You know, and so what I'm saying is that we need to design programs which allows those kids to catch up in middle school. So we catch them there. So we've designed a program that allows those kids to that literally using education technology that captures where they are, takes the assessment. What's your reading level? Grade level. Okay. You're sixth grade. You have a reading grade level of third grade. How do we catch you up? So that by so that in two more years you really are ready for high school, you know. How do we catch you up in math? You know, and how do we do it in a way that strengthens your academic confidence and engages you, you know, as opposed to making you feel like you're less than? That's what over our average grade for grade programs are all about. And so we're working with school districts to really begin to to impart this kind of program so that. Over age for grade, if we can capture these kids at over age for grade, we can turn those statistics around, and then we're, they become more likely to graduate in high school, more likely than to go on to college and to succeed. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for breaking it down for the audience, right? Because once again, it's my first rodeo, right? And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have been having more conversations within the last year than I ever thought. I mean, I knew that, hey, you know, this is what my thought. Consider me naive. Oh, somewhere around middle school, whatever, then you're going to have to start paying attention to every detail and see what's going on with the children. And then I humbly realized that no, 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 no. The profiling, the, the setbacks, the, all of this stuff. Even I had a principal ca casually say to me, I'm surprised 
that the number of people realize that the education system is horrible. I'm just going to use that word horrible. And the number of people who have normalized this phrase. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what happens in the third grade. That's when they start building prisons. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they start building mm-hmm. prisons based on the reading comprehension at third grade. And they say it as if it's supposed to be encouragement, if it's supposed to be, hey, that's kind of how it is. And I don't know what it is, if it's heartlessness, if it's hopelessness, if people just don't know what to do. But one thing I can say yeah, is to you and your team. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, look, look, it's really interesting because I, at, the, at the beginning of the show, one of the things you mentioned, which I thought was really important as a parent when you said, you know, I got my, my kid into school. And the first thing I realized is I really should have been doing something in pre-K. You know, I got a bit at four and five, and I really should be doing something at three. You're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. The data is so clear on the point you just made. No one can object to it except those who don't want to spend the money. Okay. The, the biggest answer to a lot of these challenges that we have in education for our, our kids, along with all the things that Shane mentioned in her in her section, the biggest thing here is that Every state in the union ought to have universal pre-K. It's just, we just ought to have it, okay? Because if you don't spend the money in universal pre-K, you're going to spend the money someplace else. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to spend it. And right now, that there's less than a handful of states that have it. It's very well understood that this opportunity gap or achievement gap, whichever way you want to call it, you know, that 50% of it reduces. You can reduce it by 50% with universal pre-K. Well, getting kids in school earlier. There's just, it's, it's, it's just, there's no one who can refute it. The data is just absolutely clear. And so when you raise this question, you say, well, how, you know, is it just heartlessness or it, whatever it is, you know, it needs to stop because we're, har- we're harming the chances for our kids. We're creating educational, educational haves and have nots. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? If you live in the suburbs, you know, if you live in the suburbs, you know, and, and particularly suburbs not of color, your kids are in some form of pre-K. Mm-hmm. Right? And so who are the kids that ultimately suffer? These are typically kids of color. And, and I distinguish universal pre-K from Head Start, okay? Not to show shade on Head Start, but universal pre-K is really about engaging the learner earlier and helping them learn earlier. So when they get to kindergarten, you know, I did this with my own girls. When my girls got to, my, my girls got to kindergarten, they were already fluent readers, right? That's what we want to do, because then what you can do is you, all those things I talked about doing in third grade. Imagine what happens if you could do them in kindergarten. Awesome. 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 Now, I want to tell me about this. This is nothing I, I learned new, right, in talking to you. I didn't even know that organizations like Edison Learning existed in the services that you guys offer. Like some of the services you offer is school turnaround services, mm-hmm. school mm-hmm. management, dropout recovery and prevention. I'm like, what in the world? I didn't realize, you know, for the parents who are listening, right? Help us understand this industry. And let's assume that you're a parent and you're like, hey, my school district, my school, they just a hot mess. You know what I mean? Garbage fire, right? We need help. And we don't even know how the help is going to happen. 
do is, is it opportunity for an organization like Edison, like to come in and help? How does that give us the backdrop? How does that backdrop works when you yeah. guys do the turnaround services? Yeah, the the the, the uh, one of the, one of the, one of the listeners just made a great point that learning loss was happening long before the pandemic. I I absolutely agree with that. I didn't want to miss that point. Um, yeah. So so what happens is you have often you have um, schools and school districts that are failing, and we know who, where they are. As a parent, you know that your child isn't getting the quality of education that they should. And there's a friend of mine who calls it educational malpractice where your student graduates and there's valedictorian of the class and they go to college and they flunk out because they were never prepared. Right. You know, and so so um, what we do is um, on the turnaround um, aspect of this is we help schools and school districts that know they are struggling. We help them determine how to turn their schools, uh, how they'll turn those schools around by building the capacity for their teachers. You know, the fact of the matter is that our kids learn differently. That's an act. That's axiomatic. Everybody knows that, right? Everybody knows our kids learn differently, but they're all taught the same. You know, we still use some of the same um, tactics that were being used by our great grandparents. You know, um, the teacher, the kid goes into the classroom. The teacher is the sage on the stage. She stands in the middle at the beginning, at the head of the class, and she just starts talking, and the kid is supposed to catch it, right? She throws it out, <laughs> and you're supposed to have a giant net, and you're supposed to catch it, right? And so and if you haven't caught it, that's on you. That's not on me. That's on you, right? Well, that's, that's less about the student and more about the teacher, right? So what we do in the turnaround is we flip that. We help the teacher understand that she's not the sage in the stage, that really what she is, she's much more of the learner coach, right? It's about, it's really about engaging that student, the student with his head down and who's disengaged. Why is his head down? Because he don't get it, you know? So judge your effectiveness by how many kids have their head down, how many kids have their hands down. Let's judge your effectiveness by that. You know, let's judge your effectiveness by the, your, your kid's ability to teach you uh, the subject matter and to explain the subject matter to you that you just taught. You know, and so we help to flip that whole model uh, for for uh, a uh, for a school district through what we call our achievement framework. Our achievement framework looks at learning and teacher. It looks lead teaching. It looks at the data. You know, what is the data telling you about how effective that is? It looks at the culture of the school. You know, what does that look like? When I walk into that school building, is it a clean school building with state-of-the-art materials, right? Or are the windows busted out and there's, there's you know, paint all over the place? Is it a place where kids want to be and feel like they are safe and can learn, you know? Or is it a place that they hate to be because being there is worse than being home, you know? So we look at the culture and the climate of the school. How do we make that a place where they want to learn? We look at all the social factors. So you have, are, is the school in a place where the kids have to work, work, walk through a, a, a war zone to get there? So what is that kid going to feel like? You know, and, and definitely are you offering, you know, uh, food programs there? So Shane is absolutely right. I, no matter how smart I am, that's going to be drowned out by a growling belly, you know? So are you making sure that you're feeding the kids and are you feeding them healthy? 
You know, so we look at all those things and how all those things come together to really turn the school around and make it a much more productive school. Um, now, and then unlike a lot of companies in our space, we work with both charter schools and traditional public schools. We are agnostic in that way. And there are a lot of people who have, you know, political issues about whether there should be charter schools, whether our position is where there are kids, we need to make sure they have effective learning environments. And so we want to make sure that our kids have effective learning environments, whether they're in a charter school or whether they're in a traditional public school. And we help both. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And as we get ready to kind of wrap up, you know, I want to make sure we share your information because I happen to know that, uh, and Tamika is going to share some of your information, is that you typically do some podcasts on yourself, right? So you're owner, you're CEO, but you still get to make time to to podcast. Tell us about your podcast and, you know, what the listeners, because we're going to share the link and what the listeners should expect when they follow you. Oh, well, you know, one of the things I cannot tell them that they what they won't get that I, I just have to figure out how to correct. Um, I love when you were playing at Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, shining stars like, you know what? I got to figure out how to, how to diffuse that with the little and you had a little James Brown and Isaac Hayes going. I was like, mm, yeah, that, that's a great idea. Um, but but what we do is we talk to educators across the spectrum. You know, we talk to, um, you know, educators about, you know, Things like how do you drive, you know, better results with kids? We're not just data, you know, but how do you make sure that you're you're teaching to the whole child? You know, how do you make sure that you understand what's going on in that kid's life and what's impacting what, how he or she can perform in the, in the classroom? We talk about, you know, how how school districts today they're flush with more money than ever, you know, but how why isn't that money getting and being used to facilities? where we've got literally uh, the school buildings falling down around, you know, the kids. And then we wonder why they don't want to go to school, you know? So we try to get to the heart of the matter of these issues with people who really care and who are doing innovative things to help our kids around the country. Awesome. Awesome. And I love that. I'll tell you why, because I can tell, even though you're the CEO, you get it, you know, because we've seen a lot of the companies who, you know, they're, they're the figureheads and they do whatever, but I'm listening to you talk. You actually get it, right? And I'm reading some of your podcast topics. Exceptional, personalized learning and rethinking education. How to lead equity initiatives. The rise of directors of equity. Leveraging career technical education to build equity. Rural access to educational equity. So y'all see Tom, he just ain't talking about it. You see what I'm trying to say? He came here tonight to show and prove that he means what he's saying. He says what he means. But, you know, there's been a lot of questions in the chat. And I want to give, you know, you guys a chance to ask Tom, you know, some questions. So there were some questions that were um, typed. There were some questions that, so Tamika, I'm going to need your help. And there were some questions that, um, I don't know, we may, if you want to speak, just raise your hand like this and the system will identify you and we'll give you the mic and give you a chance to ask the question directly. So Tamika, um, Katie, I'm going to need your help um, getting some of these speakers and questions. And Katie loves to ask the first question. So I'm going to let Katie go first because you know how she is. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> um, shade. I, you know, in my family, we just call that talking. You there's, know, There's so much shade, so much shade. 
Um, I've actually, there's a really interesting question in here that I just want to throw it out there because it, I feel like it's a little bit out of the clear blue, but it's beautiful. Thomas, what about the role of cursive writing? It has been totally eliminated for the from the educational system. It's a loss of the visualization of past history documents. So they're they're coming to you as an educator and as a scholar. What about cursive? Yeah, you, you know, um, I got to tell you, I'm on the other side of this, right? Because um, you know, today um, our kids um, are native technology users, right? Right. And um, and so the way they communicate, you know, is through the, the the typewriter, right? Well, we would call it typewriter, but it's a keyboard through the keyboard. And frankly, you know, if you look at it, the keyboard is kind of changing from when we learned to type. Remember when we were in eighth grade, you learned to type? Keyboard is very different, right? So, um, you know, I don't think I don't necessarily connect their understanding of history with you know, the way they, what the tool they write with. I connected with how do they think about it and whether how they're learning. There is an assault right now going on on historical fact, right? And this is one where I think parents need to care a lot more about this issue because what's happening is, you know, you have things like, uh, we don't want you to use slavery anymore what we want you to use is um, involuntary relocation, right? I mean, are you serious? You know, we, we, we have um, real challenges that are going on to black history. You know, that's where this conversation should be. And I think we as parents and those who are concerned about it need to not be quiet about these issues um, we need to be like, you know, Ms. Jackson and really and write books about it and stand up and, you know, in various form and venue and make sure that our kids are actually learning our history, but also learning history in the in the broadest sense of it. So that's more important to me than the two necessary tools that they use. Fantastic. Fantastic answer. Can I ask a question also for Sean, please? Um, there was a question in the chat, and these are about um, Flint's sort of food access issues. Do you um, have any thoughts to share about organic food versus, hey, get some regular food um, and what the availability is there? You know, how should people be addressing this entire issue of organics versus natural versus, hey, get something at the grocery store? Um, I'm really big on organic, but you're going to pay a little bit more for it. And because of the pesticides they use inside the food, um, I educate my parents inside the city and break down the whole effects of a cytotoxins. A cytotoxins are put inside our foods to slow up the process, how our kids think and feel. And so if I, by them using pesticides on a lot of our foods, we have adults which are struggling with ADD, ADHD, in which a lot of them, if you eat it, the, eat food the right way, really you're suffering from NDD, which is nutrition deficiency disorder. Mm -hmm. And so um, I break this down to every single parent that I work with that a lot of the kids have been misdiagnosed because it comes down to this. Um, and so when they come to me and I change the whole narrative of how their kids eat and introduce them to brand new food, then all of a sudden they're off this medication all of a sudden because the child is eating a certain type of way. Um, you're going to pay a little bit more for it, but they do have a Flint Farmer's Market, which is downtown. But we're talking about Flint. You have 7,250 people inside the city of Flint that do not have one car in the house 
and you got to travel at least a mile plus more to even get to a local grocery store. How are you going to make that happen? So that's why you go to the party store and you eat junk food because I don't have a car. I don't have the means to get to the farmer's market downtown. They're building one now on the north end of Flint, but it still put a four or five miles in between households to even get to that farmer's market. So it's just a lot of bit different things that's into play, why people cannot seem to be healthy, but also educating them on the different things, how and what this do for my body, because I've been at different sites where they give out free food for our Black folks, and they'll drive up the street and dump all the stuff out on the side of the road as they riding up the street. Cause they's like, I don't eat that. I don't eat that either. I don't know what to do with that. And they just keep all the stuff that they know what it is. Mm, wow. That's, that is deep. Quick question for you, Sean. What is the role or are there a lot of community gardens in, um, in Flint? Um, well, I've, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's quite a few hoop houses that's actually inside the city of Flint. Um, it's one in the heart of the city. Um, it's one close downtown and one on the eastern port- portion of the city. So it's maybe four hoop houses in total. But um, a lot of people don't use them and utilize them because how do you get to them? Um, because they don't have transportation. And then you riding a bus and you transport in this place and that place. Um, it's just a lot. And you are limited to what you can get when you get there. So you might as well just, you know, wait till I get my my SNAP benefits and not go, you know, to the grocery store and load up on what I can get. But then Flint, well, Michigan has done something different. They have double up food bucks. So the more money you spend far as milk, um, veggies, fruit, they match you dollar for dollar so you can get more fruits and veggies inside the house. Right. Uh, I like that one. That's amazing. Amazing. Um, Got a question for you, Thomas. Um, And that was actually about, um, oh, I see you've answered it, but let me go ahead and read it out for everyone. It was a question about students with disabilities and what kind of, um, what kind of materials, what kind of things you have available, programs and things like that for children with disabilities. So would you like to answer that for the general audience? Yeah, sure, sure. As I, I said to the, the responding to the person, you know, we um, have a number of online uh, programs and curricula for students with disabilities. We have a lot of students with disabilities, learning disabilities, who use our online curriculum um, because one of the ways we distinguish ourselves is that we have about uh, close to a hundred online teachers who actually are trained in working with students with learning disabilities. At the end of the day, however, each learning disability is different. So we may or may not be the right answer for you, uh, but we begin with an evaluation uh, to determine whether we're the right answer for you. And if we are, uh, then we make sure that you get exactly what you need to our programs. Fantastic. Thomas, another question for you. You know, you've talked a lot about the role of the teachers and and the staff that you have at Edison Learning. I'm curious as to when you do some work with the schools, when you're in sort of a turnaround phase with the school district, how do you bring parents into the conversation? Oh, parents are key. uh, Absolutely key. And so one of the things we begin with is a survey of the parents and students. You know, how do they feel about the school? And sometimes they, it's it's an epiphany to that school or school district, you know, how the parents really feel. The parents feel disengaged. Guess what? The students are going to feel disengaged. The parents feel, often they feel disrespected. This, that, and, and I think Calvin hit this point. It's, it's almost like, you know, you, in, in turnaround schools, 
almost uniformly you find a situation in which parents feel like and students feel like that the school doesn't care what they think. They're not listening to them. It's not really there for them, right? And so you have to create this this, um, synergy between parents and students and the school in which the school parents know what's going on, the parents know what's expected. Often, you know, you've got you've got parents who don't know how to school because they did not perform well in school, right? So a lot of times in our community, we have this view that my job is to get them there, your job is to teach them, right? No, our job, <laughs> all of our job is to teach them. But I tell parents, look, even if you don't know algebra, take 20 minutes a night when your kid has homework, just take 20 minutes a night and have your student just explain to you one of the problems they're working on. Just have them explain it. Even if they get it wrong, have them explain it to you. Because in the, in the explanation, it helps them understand that school means something important to you, right? And then it helps them get comfortable with explaining that math problem or that science problem or that thing in history. And now they can go in, in, in the class and they can raise their hand. And the data shows that teachers are more engaged with students who raise their hand. Absolutely. Is that interesting? Yeah. You know, I'm more I'm more engaged as a teacher if you're more engaged as a student, right? But I want you to be engaged as a student. And so if you're not engaged, then I'm going to be disengaged as a teacher. That's yeah. what the data shows. It's scary. It is scary, but true, right? Scary, because I know it to be true. Go ahead. <laughs> Curious, I'd be curious to hear from you. And actually, this is this is a question for both of you, honestly. Um, you know, there are, and, and I will say this is this is my thing, um, the nonprofit community, right? So as we think about the thousands upon the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands of nonprofit organizations that are out there that deal with issues of education that are after school programs, that are tutoring programs, you name it, they do it, student enrichment, wraparound services, all of those kind of things that they exist. So Thomas, my question for you would be, how is it that Edison Learning looks at them as part of the solution? My question for you, Sean, is knowing that the food justice movement is real, right, across the U.S., what do you see um, that you think Flint needs to be doing or can do, or what kind of resources does Flint need in terms of becoming a more collaborative community where that food is available for those people that do not have access? You know, let's talk about food justice and food access. So either one of you, whoever wants to go first. Um, so I'll go first. Um, Flint needs to work together as one. Um, I feel like Flint is actually two cities into one um, because of um, people having accessibility to um, to get the food that they need. Like that, when they do make it to the spots where the food is at, um, they get rid of it quickly. I am actually implemented into a lot of after school programs as well as um, even involved in you know, morning services for a lot of the schools because they were having attendance problems. If kids not eating properly, they're not showing up at school. It's just not going to happen. Um, their first hours are their first hours because they're hungry. And so that's when I come to play far as to show the principal or the superintendent things that they can put together first hour to for these kids to be the best until lunchtime. So that's like trail mix, 
um, educating the parents on doing smoothies in the morning time to give that boost of energy that they need. Um, and I'm forever talking about smoothies, smoothies, and more smoothies and add some grains in there so you can wake these kids up. Do not drop them off with Starbucks, you know, with a double lattes, you know, with chocolate shavings on them and they all over the place. Um, because that's what a lot of parents do. They say, I'll stop at Starbucks every morning for my baby. That's what that, that's what they get. on Katie's toes. You know, she lost <laughs> <the Starbucks. laughs> But you got to think that this sugar slows up the process of how these babies are thinking, how they're feeling. And then now you're dealing with a child who's severely depressed. And mom and dad is trying to figure mm-hmm. out why my baby is so depressed because I'm not adding in that green inside my baby's diet. If you can't get it inside them, I say do things like tacos. I do a, a amazing taco that I sell. I, I actually put on a romaine wrap and then I put turkey taco, turkey meat on there with um, black beans. Then I add sweet mm-hmm. potatoes on there and then I put in zucchini and then I serve it to the kids with cheddar and I mean the kids love it when I say they love it but these are things they go back home and share with their moms and dads and then all of a sudden everybody calling me like what you just feed my baby because we're trying to try that here at the house um but these are the same parents said my babies don't eat that type of stuff my baby don't eat zucchini my baby don't eat black beans but they I make it so that herbs is the revolution of the world. Herbs, herbs, and more herbs. And more herbs you put on a food, the more enticing it is for people to try it. The more colors you see on food, the more enticing it is for people to try it. Color controls the brain. And so if it looks beautiful, I want to try this salad because it looks beautiful. Awesome. And with a lot of stuff. Sean, we're losing you a little bit. Dividing. Yeah, Sean, we're using we're losing you a little bit. Let me go to Thomas with the question about the nonprofit um, community collaboration. Yeah, I, it's it's a great question, and um, and so um, we are not the whole solution, um, you know, for our kids. And we what we do is we say that we've got to make sure that we're dealing with the whole student. So if you begin thinking through education by going from the student first. I talked about that earlier, thinking from the student forward, right? Then what you have to ask is what are the wraparounds? What are wraparound services? What are the partnerships that we have to have? And we do this all the time in schools, in our charter schools that we manage as well as our school district. What are those wraparound services that are needed? Um, You know, we've had situations where kids are living in cars, Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think I told you this this one situation where, you know, I I do get out and I do get in, involved in going out into the community and knocking on doors and making sure kids are in school. And, um, you know, I knocked on this door and there's a, um, an elderly lady that comes through the door and she points me to a car that's in a lot. And um, I'm thinking, OK, um, and she says, just go over there. And I said, go over there. And when I get there, there are curtains, mm-hmm. you know, around the windows. And I'm like, okay, somebody's here. So, you know, I very respectfully knock on the the window, you know, and I take a step back, you know, because I don't want to startle anybody. I don't know what's coming out. And out comes this 16-year-old girl who's living in the car, right? But when she comes out, she pulls out of the car her two younger brothers. So they, the three of them are living in this car. And it's, I find, later found out 
that it's not the first time that they were put out of their mother's house. Now, if I fast forward to that, what do we need? Well, we're an education company. We're not a housing company. So what we have to do is to make sure that we're connected with homeless shelters, with teen crisis centers, with you know social workers, with people who can make sure these kids get, get, get detected and taken care of, et cetera. Long story short, we partner with agencies for this kid, get them, the grandmother had no idea where they were, she ends up living with the, they end up living with their grandmother. This kid graduates valedictorian and goes on to Ohio State. You know, so it, it really sort of puts, you know, the, the cherry on top to the point that both, you know, Shane uh, and myself are making here, right? Look, if our kids are hungry, right? If our kids are starving, if our kids don't have the kind of uh, uh, the housing that they need, if they don't have the safety and the security and all of that that they need, how can we expect them to perform at the level that they they are naturally capable of performing? How can we expect that? Wow. You know, but our kids are brilliant. You know, but we're starting them so far behind the starting line, and then wondering why they're not breaking records. Right. Wow. Wow. Well, this has been an awesome. Awesome, awesome conversation. You know, as I said in the A-team, and you can appreciate this, Tom, I love it when a plan comes together. People are like, well, what is um, Miss Jackson got to do with Mr. Jackson? I'm like, y'all understand. You must understand these people have passion for what they do. And, Katie, you can tell why I tell him the CEO, the boy got the gift, right? You see how smooth he is? Boy, he's smooth, boy. <laughs> like butter. Like butter, baby. Like butter. Yes, yes, yes. And so, so I just want to thank y'all, you know, for being here tonight. Starting with Shane, thank you for doing what you do, sister, because I know you are doing what's in your heart. You are doing what you really, really feel. And I know sometimes, some days it may not even feel right because that's what it means to be. And you may not realize you're an entrepreneur, but you're an entrepreneur. Because the stuff you out there, that hustle and that flow, you some a, a wise person once said, if you want to see change in your life and society, start a business. You see, the stuff that you're doing, you're creating the change that not only you want to see, but all of us here at Southern Soul want to see. So we just want to give you your flowers and say thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for following your heart. And I know fame and fortune and all that stuff is coming, but don't worry about that. <laughs> Keep following your heart and doing what you do. And Tom, my brother, oh man, what can I say? But when I was like, hey man, he was, cause I was looking up doing my research. I said, like, oh man, he's a lawyer, man. He's going to be smooth, whatever. But you know, I love talking to you, right? Because, you know, I, I talk to a lot of, you know, um, you know, seals and people, but it's not often that they get it. It's not often that they connect the dots and like, whoa, 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 we're doing this for a reason. So I can now understand why you made that decision to become 100% owner because it connected to something deep inside of you. So I say thank you to you for doing your thing, for choosing, right, to, to step into this world that other people may be, you know, turning, like you said, you know, whatever's going on, I don't know why they're doing it, but it needs to stop. Mm -hmm. Because it's not moving the needle forward. It's not helping the kids. It's not helping us. It's helping no one. So thank you tonight for not only being here, but sharing your story and continuing to do what you do. 
And I got to give a last word to Katie because she always like to have a last word. Katie, anything you want to say before we wrap up? I know. I, I simply want to say thank you, Shane, so much. This has been just awesome words. Um, you're speaking to something that a lot of people, number one, are interested in. Um, and obviously we all need to hear. So thank you for being here tonight. Um, Thomas, amazing. Thank you so much for, for your words of wisdom. Um, and thank you really for supporting our children and supporting education. Just you know, Awesome. Awesome. Well, people, you, you know how we do. Um, well, we'll give you guys the last chance. Anything you want to say before um, you guys disconnect? Um, I didn't miss anything. Um, did I, Tom, or did I, Shane? No, just um, my page is just being redone. Uh, but um, check out Healthy Just Feels Right because I have a lot of recipes that will be on the page itself, um, blogs as well. But I actually just got with a PR. So I'm having someone redo my whole entire page because my life is being flipped upside down as we speak. So I'll be awesome. going out to Kentucky in the next few months um, that I am keynote speaker out there tying together the correlation of food and mood. So at the Juvenile Justice Conference. So I'm excited about that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we will be following you. And for the audience, look forward to my email tomorrow. I always send out a post-show feedback session to kind of let you guys, and I'll have Tom's contact information in there. I have Shane's contact information in there. So we will be following you. And like Tom said, we're looking for that book. We're looking <laughs> for that book where you begin to take us to the motherland and yeah. let us know that, hey, we were Mediterranean. You know, I think it's going to start with a sermon or something. Let me know if you need a sermon. I'll preach one for you in the book, right? <laughs> and we're going we to talk about the motherland. But, girl, do your thing. No matter what, do your thing. Keep following your heart. We love it. So y'all know what's next. Hey, and Calvin, Calvin, can I say, Calvin, can I just say thank you to what you guys are doing here? Man, I this is the first time I got a chance to listen to the show. It will not be the last. This is fantastic. Thank you very much for what you're doing. Awesome. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for a discussion with the audience.